Hey Paradise people, I'm Belle Rooney and welcome back to another episode of Protecting Paradise. Today we are chatting about sharks and the deep sea with the DOE's Shark Project Officer and Harriet Watt University PhD student, Joanna Kohler. There is no one I know more crazy about sharks than her. Joanna has been working with the DOE assessing shark abundance and behavior here in the Cayman Islands. She's also been involved with the DOE's Beneath the Waves and Marine Conservation International's Deep Sea Research currently being conducted off our shores. I can't wait for you to hear more all about this, so let's dive on in. excited for this episode. <laughs> I'm so excited. We're here with Joanna and we're going to talk a little bit about, well, not a little bit, a lot about her shark research. Hi, Joanna. How are you today? Hi, Bella. I'm very excited too. Thanks for having me. Of course. Okay. So let's start with getting a little bit, you know, getting a bit more information about you. So tell us about yourself. What makes you so passionate about sharks and passionate about the research you've been conducting? Yes, of course. So I'm from Germany mm-hmm. and I grew up in Germany. And actually, I was afraid of fish when I grew up. <laughs> of all things. Yes, I was. <laughs> I was very much afraid of fish and I wouldn't jump into any rivers or lakes or anything mm-hmm. because there were fish in there and it could bite me. And so I was like, not even swimming there. Yeah. <laughs> Unless my brother was with me and would scare the fish away. Back up, yeah. <laughs> but then <laughs> I finished high school and I went to Australia for a gap year. Mm-hmm. And I learned how to dive there, which was the plan from the beginning. But I checked out the diving center before then mm-hmm. um, to snorkel, mm-hmm. and I met two bull sharks on my snorkel with the diving center. I know. And I was shocked at the beginning when I saw them because they were bigger than me. Yeah. Two bull sharks. I didn't know there were, there were bull sharks at the time. I just knew two big sharks that were bigger than me. And I was like, oh my God, two sharks. And then they were so gracious and they were just doing their thing, mm-hmm. cruising around under me and then went away. And I'm like, I just survived two sharks. <laughs> and from that point on, it was like, I was just taken by it. Like I obviously grew, uh, then learning how to swim or like how to um, dive mm-hmm. in Australia I, I encountered sharks on every single dive. From there on, I went to, uh, to South Africa to work on a cage diving board with white sharks. Oh, and there then, I decided to study uh, marine biology mm-hmm. at the University of Cape Town there. Mm-hmm. Just because it, the marine, bo- like marine biology center is there really good and the chance of working with sharks was higher there than mm. in Germany. So yeah, I just... Fell in love, I guess, uh, first of all with their nature, but also then learning more about them. They are just amazing creatures. Like they have evolved to perfection years ago, or millions of years ago, and mm-hmm. since then never changed again. Yeah. So they're quite ancient in evolution, but also perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, like predators, predators yeah. Um, and they have just little things about them. Like for example, they don't have swim bladders. They, ha- mm-hmm. they have to keep swimming. Then they are fish. So other fish have swim bladders to mm-hmm. keep their balance in the ocean, and sharks don't. So they have an oily liver to give a little bit of an uplift, but they kind of have to keep swimming, which makes them different. They also have electrical reception that not other fish have. Um, then they can replace their teeth 
and actually their skin is made out of little teeth, which is like, yeah, the more you learn about them, the more fascinating they become. And I'm super interested in reproduction, for example. Mm -hmm. So sharks are female sharks. I'd love to be a female shark, to be honest, (laughs) because (laughs) what they can do is amazing. So first of all, um, she can decide when she wants to get pregnant. So when she mates with a male, she can keep the sperm in her uterus alive for a while in case her body condition isn't right Mm. or the environmental conditions aren't right so she can say okay hang on a minute I'm not ready or it's just not great to get pregnant right now Uh but maybe in a month or two and she can keep that sperm and then decides to get pregnant then if she meets somebody (laughs) else in that time who is a better fit um, she can reject that first sperm and get pregnant with that second oh. male's sperm. Wow. How cool is that? <laughs> that is I mean, sick. she's so in charge of like Seriously. contraception and like everything. So I know, I know the, uh, the last thing is, but not every shark species can do that. They can clone themselves. So if she doesn't encounter a male in a while because the ocean is fast and that's why they usually do mate when, when they are in mating season and right. they do meet another, um, another, another shark because you never know when you encounter another one again. So right. just for right. species the reproduction and evolutional mm. purposes you do want to mate um, <clears throat> but if she doesn't encounter one like the the fast pelagic species like oceanic white tips mm-hmm. uh, whale sharks or whatever when they travel for a long time they may not encounter one and uh, they then can decide okay I want to make sure that my species survives when I die, just mm-hmm. in case I die, so they then can clone themselves. She can only reproduce females because she is a female and she would need the the male yeah. um, sperm or like um, genes to reprodu- reproduce a male. But either way, I think, I mean, just those three options that she has as a female shark, I'm like, oh, oh my God. Uh, wouldn't we love that? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm just teenage. taken by it. So yeah, I mean, sharks are very cool. Okay, well... <laughs> <laughs> that's a massive reason to be passionate. Oh my gosh, what an interesting beast. Oh, that's just crazy. Okay. okay I know, well, mind blowing. <laughs> we could talk about that like for the next 50 billion years, honestly. So let's get a little bit about why shark populations are actually so important here um, and why are they important to our marine environment in Cayman? Well, sharks are top predators and as a top predator, they keep their prey population in check. Mm-hmm. and usually exert a force top-down mm-hmm. throughout the entire food web and mm-hmm. the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So um, sharks do keep their prey populations in check by eating the, hel- uh, the sick and the weak. But mm-hmm. also, um, if the prey population becomes too much, uh, too abundant, they will make sure that the prey population is in a healthy size mm-hmm. to not... Um, yeah, throw off the balance on the reef. For example, in other places where predators or sharks have been removed, mm-hmm. um, you will see uh, uh, consequences throughout the entire sea ecosystem. For example, their, pred- uh, their prey population would be fish like jacks and barracudas, groupers. They expand in, in size. And then what do they eat? They eat like the herbivores, like parrotfish. So they will put a lot of pressure on the parrotfish which diminishes their population mm-hmm. and if we have less parrotfish then they will eat less algae off the reef and that mm. means the algae then expands over our reef and explodes kind of mm-hmm. and smothers our coral and that's not what we want so potentially the removal or even decrease of uh, predator populations can have a, a trickle down effect throughout the entire ecosystem 
so they yeah. keep, help keep the balance on the reef and in our oceans. That's such a tricky balance, isn't it? It is. It is. And it's, you don't even realize it when you're swimming in the ocean. You don't even realize that every little fish has a part to play in keeping it balanced and keep and giving the resources to us and, and, and that they're all really connected that way. Yeah. That, yeah, that's so cool. I've always loved because um, those are called trophic levels, right? Yes, that's yeah. right. So I've always been so interested in trophic levels. And sharks, I just think, I don't know, they're just the coolest part of the trophic level to me. <laughs> okay, cool. So your research. What exactly were you researching? Um, what were you researching and what kind of conclusions did you come to? Because you've been researching for your PhD, right? That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> so I have looked at, or let's start at the beginning. In 2009, mm -hmm. the shark research has started with the Department of Environment and Marine Conservation International, which is mm -hmm. a Scottish NGO. And before then, there was no organized shark research in Cayman, but with <clears throat> more awareness and sharks becoming priority globally because diminishing population, mm. some of them are threatened, up to 90% of shark species are in some kind of way endangered. Um, Cayman didn't really know what the status of our sharks are, what the populations are, like not really anything, but mm. single shark sightings from the public or fishermen and stuff. So we have decided to actually, you know, do a ground study, like groundbreaking baseline study in terms of what we have here and uh, their abundance and so on and the behavior. So we started the shark research together with various methods and the aim was to find out like the spe species comp composition, their abundance, um, whether they have any specific behavior throughout the year, like seasonal behavior, mm -hmm. whether they, they swim between the three islands. Um, because none of that was known before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that has an impact on, what does that have an impact on all those different variables? Well, first of all, again, the better you understand the species, mm -hmm. the better you understand the ecosystem, and okay. then how potentially changes to the ecosystem through humans, for example, mm -hmm. can influence that. So by understanding the biology and the behavior of sharks, we can better protect them, or if we see any like threats or uh, like overlap between their behavior and our human behavior we can mitigate those um, clashes for example mm -hmm. so <clears throat> we know for example that we have about six to eight coastal shark species with the last two are like very random like whale sharks now and then <laughs> right, or, <yeah. laughs> or a silky shark showing up but the most abundant are Caribbean reef and nurse shark and we also found out that the hammerheads are here all year round because when I came in 2016 I joined the project in 2016 but I have used the entire data set from 2009 for my PhD Brilliant. so it's 10 years wow. of data that I wrote up um and when I came in 2016, everyone was like, yeah, we have a hammerhead season. They're coming in May, June to pop here and to mate. Um, but then we started with the Shark Logger Network, which is a diving, scuba diving network where mm -hmm. the divers are logging their dives for us. Not just the shark sightings, but also the dives that, mm -hmm. that don't see sharks, which gives, uh, gives us an effort. And we need that in terms of then um, uh, like finding out whether 
yeah, like wh- where the sharks are and mm-hmm. uh, how often and so on. And through that, we found out that hammerheads are seen all year round. Mm-hmm. And um, that was really, really cool. I, I, that, nobody has known that before. So we actually have more than we think we have. Although they are still very, <laughs> like, not that common. No. I'm not going to say you got to see a hammerhead every time you jump into the ocean now. But they are more common than we thought, like, That's especially good. with the seasonality. Then we also have seen quite a few young on our surveys, like um, on the bruffs, for example, a lot of um, juvenile and young of year. Young of mm-hmm. year, we call um, sharks that ha- are born in that within that year. Mm-hmm. And some of them are. Oh, another cool fact, sharks have belly buttons, <laughs> at least. Hours, yes. So there are three protective uh, pred- uh, strategies in um, in sharks, and some lay eggs, like a chicken, for mm-hmm. example, and some have eggs inside the uterus, but they're kind of protected. Like the eggshell would be then the shark mm-hmm. mother. Right. Um, but then some of them give live birth, like we humans do with a placenta and everything. Yeah. Um, and obviously, if you have a placenta, you have an umbilical cord. And if you have an umbilical cord, you have a belly button. Yes, I know. It's so cool. So when you see a baby shark and it has a little slit between your, the pectoral fins, which are the front fins, mm-hmm. um, on the chest... For the first, like, two to three months after it was born, um, it has that little slit, which is the belly button, and then it will close up because they have quite um, impressive healing po- self-healing powers. What? But So you won't see it after three months anymore, but... <sighs> They do. So on our surveys, we sometimes see the, the belly button on the, oh. on the bra. So even when we catch them for our tagging program. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, this suggests though um, that we have breeding populations, oh, which course. means the sharks are resident. Um, the area. So Caribbean yeah. reef and nurse sharks um, yeah, are resident all year round and the breeding populations, which is great. Um, then we also have found some um, seasonal behavior, so they're more active during summer, less active during winter, mm-hmm. and they also travel um, long distances to mm-hmm. the sister islands, for example, but mm-hmm. only by the mature sharks. So mm-hmm. the little sharks, they usually stay close to the reef because they're more vulnerable in terms of predators and then, I mean, other sharks or mm-hmm. other bigger predators in the ocean. Um, and the mature sharks, they're a little bit more dom- dominant and bold. They can they travel between the three islands, mm-hmm. um, which makes them also more vulnerable because they're in open ocean, yeah. more subject to fishing ac- activities mm-hmm. or other predators. Um, and then we also found out the, the various habitats. So each species has their favorite habitat and their favorite depth. Um, and they have... As reef sharks, typical um, that's typical for them. They have usually small home ranges within 10 kilometers, mm-hmm. oh, wow. um, 10-20 kilometers uh, range. And they also have high site fatality, which means they prefer, like each shark prefers a specific area. But that doesn't mean all the Caribbean reef sharks are now in one specific area. It's mm-hmm. more like individuals <laughs> have their specific area where they're f- uh, like where they like it and then that's their home for a while that's it may shift over over time we have a nurse shark that started out like by close to the kitty wake and then it went around slowly throughout northwest point and at the moment it's close to rum point so over time it's home rate or like it's it's side fidelity like has changed, changed. the area has changed but it still hangs out then now around that area oh. at rum point um for for a little bit 
That's so cool. Yeah, and the other thing is uh, through that um, studying of the behavior and so on, we could identify some threats to our sharks. Mm, So, for example... um, Sharks are quite shy, actually, uh, despite popular belief. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They they do tend to avoid human disturbances like coastal development or any boat traffic, Mm -hmm. divers in the water. So along the West Coast, um, we have less sharks, which Mm. means they just avoid that or go deep because Mm -hmm. we do have noticed that they go deep uh, or that just tend to hang around the other parts of the area where there's also more prey like Mm. on the north coast we have a lot of current not a lot of nutrients a lot of fish so obviously that's where the predators hang out the same on the east and the same pattern you can see on the sister islands so little cayman has more because there's less Mm -hmm. um, human disturbance Mm. and the reef are healthier so there's more prey availability Mm -hmm. same on the brack um, and we have seen also that, for example, even when the sharks go deep to escape the human disturbance on the reef, or on the upper part of the reef, um, they may still get exposed to then deep sea fishing because we have the deep sea snapper fishing, grouper snapper, uh, fishing and so on. And unfortunately, because the fishermen also target these areas where there is high prey abundance like the oh. north coast, or the, the east side um, of Grand Cayman, then that would obviously clash with our sharks because they also prey, uh, they also like those areas because of the same reasons but as the fishermen yeah. do. Exactly. <laughs> so we could identify some threats and then we can put those into action plans and conservation plans. Oh, cool. That's how it works. Okay, that's, oh my goodness. That's, that's so a lot of information. It's though. a lot of information, <laughs> but I mean, I didn't know half of it. So I'm really happy that you've told us about that. Okay, cool. Cool. Oh, okay. Well, let's... Oh, well, I guess, what can the public do if, if you know, we have... People here love to fish. People here always love to fish, right? That's a part of the culture. Yeah. Um, so what can the public do to help keep our shark populations healthy? Because I'm sure lots of people, after hearing this, will be really intrigued and want to help you guys out in, you know, make sure, making sure we keep them around. So what can they do if they can do anything? That's right. And honestly, like everyone has to pull up, do their part mm-hmm. in terms of protecting our environment, not just sharks in general. In general. So for sharks, it, it's the same thing as for all of our wildlife. We need the help of the public to have a positive outcome, conservation mm-hmm. outcome. So first of all, sh- all sharks are protected within Cayman waters by law. So it is illegal mm-hmm. to kill or fish for sharks, target sharks, harass them, take anything mm-hmm. Um they are protected species in mm-hmm. Cayman. So that means none of, I understand that none of the fishing gear is selective. Like you can't mm-hmm. say, okay, I'm going to catch a grouper so-and-so big today. That's not happening. Mm-hmm. So it could always be that a shark will end up on a fishing hook, Backstreet. especially because there will is a struggling fish on the line. Mm. A, a shark is a predator. It will go for a struggling fish mm-hmm. because it thinks it's injured or something, which it is essentially because <laughs> it has a hook in the mouth. But um, so if you do catch accidentally a shark, please release it by either cutting the line as close as possible to the hook as you're comfortable with or even if you're more more comfortable to remove the hook, remove the hook and let the shark go. Um, then also don't arrest them don't feed them also mm. very important okay. we're not it's also illegal to feed sharks we don't want them associated that they associate food with humans mm. um, then also be mindful when you fish in the shallow areas mangroves 
um, in mangrove forests, um, they are a nursery habitat for free fish, including baby sharks. Yeah. Um, so we don't we don't want um, the babies to be accidentally. <laughs> Um, fished out Um, (laughs) if you do see sharks let us know you can report them to us and we keep a database of Mm -hmm. all the shark sightings Um, then you could also do if you're a frequent diver you could join the shark logger network which is a little bit more involved you could log all your shark sightings like I said said earlier and that data is really really helpful to us because with our surveys we can't go out Every single day. <laughs> we only can do, which is normal in science, in ecology, um, you can only do snapshot surveys and then do that consistently throughout over the years mm-hmm. and then have an index whether it goes up and down. Mm-hmm. So that's how science works. But with our shark logger network, we have divers go out every single day mm-hmm. so they can survey throughout the year and then we get a better pattern. Mm. More data is always a good thing. Yeah. So if you are interested in that, reach out to us and sign up. Um, then you could also... Um, report any ongoing crimes if you see anything mm. let us the, the conservation officers know if you see any suspicious behavior also mm-hmm. report it to our conservation officers they respond immediately and we don't really have this here in Cayman like we don't sell sharks here because they are protected but if you travel and go overseas just don't buy any shark products um, also have a lookout in your cosmetics the sharks have the oil in the liver as I said earlier it's called squalene oh. and some of those are well, back in the day, that was used for, you know, like candles and stuff like that. Oh, I didn't know Or that. even lipstick. Um, like with the whales, like the whale blubber was blubber. also used like that. And then once the whales were protected and they, everyone was out crying for the whales, then oh. they used the sharks because nobody cared about them, right? So, right. and it's still in some cosmetics, squalene, but mm-hmm. they also make now a, um, a, a synthetic squalene, which is called squalane. And it's just, I know, it's just to make it more confusing. There's like <laughs> one letter difference, but it's making a big difference for the sharks. If you ever have a like, yeah, just have a look no yeah be um, aware of that if you're sure. aware exactly and just don't buy any shark products like the jaws the, the, the teeth the uh, skin or sometimes they have baby sharks in jaws I've seen already oh, like gosh, overseas no. yeah re- oh, like really geez. awful things or um, in some Caribbean but also overseas in Europe and in Australia they sell shark meat for fish and chips yes. for example in Australia and Europe I know that wow. fish and chips is shark I know in Germany too I know my mom always used to say that when I grew up she's like no we're not eating fish and chips because there are sharks in there and obviously in Caribbean culture we have our uh, fish and bake uh, which is shark yeah. and bake right yeah so just avoid that too because this is all like the customers as usual um in the power to drive the market and Mm -hmm. if there's no demand then the restaurants will stop selling it then that means they won't buy it from the fishermen and then the fishermen don't have a reason to catch them to catch it so yeah you can make a difference you definitely can make a difference (laughs) wow okay there's no reason (laughs) to not make a difference that's the um, right. enforcement number. Yeah, so like if you want to call in to our enforcement um, chief officer, then call 916-4271. That's 916-4271. Okay, and that's for if you see anything suspicious yeah. going on. Okay, cool. Or anyone catching a shark or okay, something Okay, that's like that. brilliant. Okay, okay. Oh. <gasps> that's so exciting. People can do stuff. Okay, so let's switch it up a little bit here. So I met you and a couple other people 
just through a mutual friend, and I heard a little bit about some deep sea research that was going on, and that made me super excited because I think the deep sea is such a wonderful, magical, majestic place. And obviously we have the Cayman Trench here, which is the third deepest, right? I think so, third deepest. Um, so with deep sea mining, it's becoming a bigger reality. The need for resources not from land and stop, you know, mining land and but moving to the sea. And that's what could be a really massive problem. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about the work that's being undertaken by Beneath the Waves and DOE and the motivation behind this deep sea research? Yes, of course I can. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm happy to. So this new project is really exciting because as you, I agree with you, it's a, a super interesting place, the deep sea, and also it's mystical. Like mm -hmm. it's very dark there. It's hard to reach. So not many people have looked there, right? So yes, the DOE, it's a project from the DOE, Marine Conservation International, Beneath mm. the Waves, which are both NGOs, one from Scotland, one from the US, mm -hmm. and Harriet Watt University in the Scotland as well. Cool. And this whole project is fun funded by a Darwin Plus grant and a white tip fund from the Cabrew as our ongoing main sponsor awesome. of the shark research here. Um, so why we are doing it, um, we are we have been now monitoring the shark population over 10 years, as I just said, which was part of my PhD. And we have a relative good understanding of the ecology in our coastal waters now, but we never surveyed past those 100 feet or 30 mm -hmm, meters mm -hmm. because it is very difficult to get there. The equipment is more expensive, harder mm -hmm. to get, like it's just more uh, logistically yeah. difficult, challenging. And that's also why there's only limited information available from the very deep environment. And there we have a few um, sighting records of deep sea sharks, but not really organized shark research at all. So, but this means also the protection and the management of these species um, is not specifically addressed in Cayman yet. Mm -hmm, right. And so what we want to do is... Um, assess the occurrence and the distribution of the predators, such as sharks, but also commercial fish, such as the groupers and snappers, and assess the makeup of the seabed, mm. as well as um, record any presence of corals, sponges, invertebrates, and some of the uh, water um, quality down there. So this would then cover from 50 to 2,000 meters, what? which is 150 feet to 6,000 feet. I know. That's 6,000 <laughs> feet. A lot of space. Which is, a, like, it's so deep. I can't, yeah. I can hardly wrap my head around it because usually as a diver, you don't go past uh -huh. 100. And then even if you take diving, you may go to like 300 feet. <laughs> even then. But I know. But in the end, like, when you think about the ocean, it's such a fun environment and mm -hmm. those like 200 mm -hmm. I don't know 100 feet that's just like literally like a sliver on top of like the, the actual depth the actual depth yeah. of the ocean so yeah. I'm very excited to go really really deep and see what's down there oh my gosh ah! okay cool <laughs> okay so that's looking at kind of maybe the biodiversity with all that so what do you use to assess this stuff well I mean I've heard of I've heard of bruvs and I know the DOE did a post about some of the equipment but what exactly what, what are bruvs? <laughs> what do they stand for? <laughs> yeah, it's a weird one, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so bruvs are baited remote underwater video systems, okay, which cool. means it's essentially a camera trap like those on land. So you have a camera, we use GoPros, and then you have a bait arm with bait attached. Bait is a contained, so we're not feeding any animals. Oh, cool. But right. it has holes, so the scent goes Get out. out. Right. So you, it creates a plume around, mm. around the unit which means all the predators that are attracted to the scent 
and will come check out the unit to find where the where the food is <laughs> but they yeah. won't get it you know what I mean yeah. so they come really close to the camera and we then record it oh, cool. and then when we come up when we bring the unit back up we can then analyze the footage so we have those deep water broughs usually we have those for the coast, coastal work that we've done on the, oh, okay, on the cool. shallow stuff mm-hmm. too but now we have deep water broughs which means they are um, they can Endure the pressure and the duration of like those depths. Mm-hmm. Um, those are deployed via boat and rope. Um, up to 160 drops now we're doing, oh and gosh. each drop has two hours of footage. Yeah, it's a lot. It's of, a lot of footage. It's to a go lot through. of hours. <laughs> yes, that I have to <laughs> that I have to watch. Then the other thing is um, we have seabed landers. Those are also bruffs. Um also a camera, it has a battery attached to it mm-hmm. and a re- acoustic release, which mm-hmm. means we can drop them really, really deep. So those ones that go down to 2,000 meter, uh, 2,000 mm-hmm. meters, 600 feet, um, which are 80 drops for seven hours. So we drop them. Wow. We leave them yeah. for six hours or something and then we acoustically release them. So we have a button on the boat, mm-hmm. we press it and then it, under the water it will release the unit and then it comes up with a float okay. and then we pick it up on the surface it's really really cool oh i see it's really so it really cool back up. yes and because it, we can't go down there and we don't have a line which is that long so no. it needs to be dropped it, it sinks to the bottom with a weight and then after seven hours we can acoustically release it oh. so the signal is via acoustics Acoustic. okay yeah and then it comes up again yeah and then we, really, and then we also have that to watch that footage <laughs> yeah so is there a light on it How, yes we oh, do okay. have lights yeah because um even on our on our shallower ones which yeah. are like 600 feet um they, they it's dark there of course you don't see anything so yeah. we have lights attached to it um and the light and it's so dark down there that the light only reaches really to the bait which is like a meter, right. three foot Away. in front of the camera. Yeah. And then after that, there's hardly anything. Like it really sucks up like the, right. the light. Which is that a bright white light or is it, do you it, use a special color? No, it is a bright white light. Oh, cool. But with diving, those for listeners that dive, they know that the brighter you go, that it's not usually better because then you mm. pick up all the particles and they reflect back. Right. Okay. Depending on how <clears throat> the visibility or how many particles there are in right. the water. So you need to find like a sweet spot in between oh. bright enough that you can see but not bright too bright so everything comes back to you and you don't see anything because then the yeah the, the depth goes nothing can be easy no <laughs> of course not not with marine biology that's like the theme <laughs> and then for the last part the water quality or actually also for sharks um there has been a new uh, method developed in the recent years which is really really interesting it's called eDNA mm. which means environmental DNA so what you do is you collect water samples and then send it off through to a lab and they can find out whether there have been sharks in the water just by testing yeah oh my god the particles in the water because yeah. obviously every animal Gives releases yeah. some kind of dna so they can those labs are so sensitive that they can pick up whether a shark has been there or like pooped or something you oh know? my god <laughs> Essentially, <laughs> that's what they tool. I know because this way, even if the shark is not there on our camera, we can still find out whether what kind of species composition is down there, and especially in those depths. I mean, you know, yeah. it's really hard to 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 survey. So of that's course. another tool that we use, and it also because we do collect water samples, we can also then check for water quality like purposes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's the um. What? 
that's the methods that we use. Oh my gosh. Okay, so if people like the sound of that, then you should get into marine biology. That sounds so technical for me, but how cool, how wonderful to have access to equipment that allows you to study stuff like that. Okay, so have you been looking over any footage? Do you have anything back? Have you seen anything on your cameras yet or not yet? I have had a look at it already. Yeah. Um, so the deep one... We have only had four drops so far, mm -hmm. and unfortunately, we didn't find any sharks. I was really hoping for <laughs> the seven gills, the brown-nosed seven gills, those huge ones, or even dogfish. I love dogfish. I did my undergrad on dogfish. So, oh, my gosh. Yeah, they are really, really cute, I think. They're, <laughs> they're tiny little sharks, but they're, like, you know, still a shark. So, yeah, no, we haven't seen any of those, but mm -hmm. I'm hoping to find them one day. Um, but we did find some shrimp. Oh, that's and good. they're bright orange in the light. Obviously, they're bright orange, and they were they loved our bait. I gotta say, <laughs> they went on there for the entire five hours or something oh, wow, and destroyed it. But um, yeah, other than that, it was still really interesting to see. But no, no sharks. Um, then on the shallower ones, we found some uh, Caribbean reef down mm -hmm. at like. They go down, down um, I think they went to 300, 300. not great. at 600, but at 300. And that's like common um, in other places too, like Belize and stuff. And oh, okay. even with our, we did one, once a satellite attack on a Caribbean reef, we know that they go down that deep. Mm -hmm. um, and we also found some hammerheads, tiger sharks. So yeah, it's really been really interesting so far. Cool. And all of this can inform, I guess, like you were saying earlier, um, can inform decisions on what you protect, right? And what protected areas you create. In terms of, I know, deep sea mining, I, I do know that that's a thing, but you could protect those parts and say, no, don't touch our stuff. This yeah. is ours. This is important. This is this is fundamental to the life in the ocean. So yeah. that's what it's kind of going towards, protected areas? It may. Yeah. Um, it's just not at the moment finding out and assessing the deep environment because mm -hmm. nobody has looked that deep yet okay cool. so it's even looking at what kind of coral species do we have down there Gosh, what kind so of sponges if if any who knows right so on the 2000 meter ones we haven't seen any coral or any sponges i believe it was just plain um seabed and oh. um sandy muddy seabed but we may find a you know a some kind of mountain or oh, with wow, like some yeah. life on it or even hydrothermic vents like it, yeah. you, you don't know right so it's just to finding out what's down there the biodiversity mm -hmm. and then we can make an informed decision whether any um, yeah conservation plans uh, need to be drafted in terms of marine protected areas or just specific species protection. Um, yeah, this is really just to find out information mm -hmm. then to make informed decisions. Ah, I love that. And that's it's a two-year project. If that's it is a two-year project. So those like those 160 drops and those 80 drops and all that stuff, um, that's over two years, yes. That's awesome. And we are trying to get all year-round data because obviously the ocean changes throughout the season. Right, of course. So there may be some seasonality down mm -hmm. there. Um yeah, we, we just don't know. So we are trying to cover all the bases that mm -hmm. we can, where we have the power to, you know, to, yeah, yeah. make decisions and then see what's down there and oh. then take it from there, kind of. <laughs> well, that is so, so cool. Okay, well, we're going to have to get an update in like two years if we're still kicking around here. Yes. We're going to have to get an update. But until then, thank you so much for talking to me about this. Of Your course. passion comes through so heavily. And I think, I hope, I think and hope that other people will hear it and maybe get passionate and involved as well because you can't really have enough <laughs> right you can't have enough support is there anything you'd like to say before the end or is there any way 
uh, people can follow this. I know we can follow the DOE on Instagram and kind of see updates. Um, follow you on Instagram. I don't know. Do you post updates? Is that... I do sometimes because I like to share um, what I do. I mean, I have lots of students following me that are in marine, into marine biology and I get questions all the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to inspire them to keep going because university can be really tough sometimes mm-hmm. and especially if you're not there yet and mm-hmm. trying to yeah hold on and to say, you know, this is also out there. And I think even for other people, um, for my friends and, and family, mm-hmm. it's just nice to do that part of outreach yes, because important. sometimes when I when you're in your circle for me it's normal mm-hmm. all these info, all this information is all news kind of yeah. you know it's my life yeah. but then when I go home to Germany where I grew up in a small little village they have never heard of shark finning before and I'm like what okay that's like it's just interesting to see when you're outside of your circle what the info like where the basic information baseline what's is out there. yeah what's yeah. out there so i think one of my passions is outreach yeah to share because what is it what is it worth if i know <laughs> everyone else needs to know yeah. and i love sharing it and i love inspiring people i love like when i see that <clears throat> they they think about it and they see oh okay and then uh-huh. the change of um, mindset and so like important. i said uh, i always say the um the public perception of sharks is still yeah. quite negative sometimes mm-hmm. and that is the biggest challenge mm-hmm. of my field so mm-hmm. the more outreach the better and the more they understand how we survey them and they may be fascinated by it mm-hmm. um the more then they will identify with it mm-hmm. and the more they understand and if you understand you may start loving it so that's my hope and all I want to say was thank you for your interest and having me yes oh my goodness of course I think there's tons of people that are interested in this to be honest and that they don't know you know research sometimes googling is just overwhelming and sometimes you just need to sit down and listen to a podcast and get inspired so thank you so much for talking to me I will put your Instagram in the show notes of today's episode I'll also link some other sharky bits and bobs down there and the DOE. And I'm going to link the DOE and all, yeah, I'm going to link the Sharky Bits and Bobs from the DOE. And thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, fella. I'll see you later. Good luck. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, Joanna, for chatting with me today about our favorite ocean friends and about the deep blue sea. We wish you all the best with the results of your PhD, but we know you're gonna smash it. As you've heard, sharks are a vital part of our oceans here and everywhere around the world. If you see anything suspicious, make sure you call the DOE Enforcement Officer at 916-4271. That's 916-4271. If you want to know more about sharks or the Deep Sea Project, you can check out the show notes of today's episode and make sure to follow the Department of Environment and Joanna on Instagram at DOEKeyMan and at Joanna Kohler. Until next time, you can follow us on Instagram at ProtectingParadiseKY or email us at ProtectingParadise at gmail.com. And remember, you can't care if you don't know. So toodles! Script by Bella Rooney, music and sound by James Brake.